Dismiss our kids from the workshop. Come on, let's make some noise for our children. Come on, we like to cheer for our kids. Well, as you know, we've, uh, we've been in the middle of a, of a faith promise drive, and so if you're newer to the church, I'll just catch you up to what that is. But faith promise is, is something that we're going to start doing uh, here at City Life every year. And the idea is that you pray, and you ask God to give you a number. You're not sure where that money's going to come from, but you believe by faith that he's going to provide it to you. And then when it comes in, you make a promise that you're going to give it to the initiative or the, or, or the drive that, that, uh, that we're part of. So that's why it's called a faith promise. You believe by faith the money's going to come in, and, you, and then you make a promise that you're going to give when it does. And so, so, so there are certain weeks where people are sending us stories of, of their, what we call their faith promise story. And so we got one a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I wanted to uh, share it with you before we get into the, uh, into the, into the sermon. So we're getting ready to break. Just, we, just so you know, we, we, we launched it in June, and we're getting ready to break the $30,000 just in a few months. It's powerful, isn't it? Come on. And as you, as you know, too, that with every $10,000 increment, we're doing some crazy stuff. So when we crossed $10,000, right, the governance team, if you were here, we did the Buffalo Wild Wings Challenge. Nate Nowotny won. No surprise there. And so, uh, so, so Nate won that. And then when we crossed 20, which we've already done, so we're, we've got it on the schedule, and uh, it's going to be a surprise, but, but uh, the college students are taking Vanessa and I shopping, and we're going to wear whatever outfits they pick out for us during the weekend services. So... We're going to look really good by some people's standards soon. A little bit frightening to maybe other people's standards, probably including my own. So, but then when we cross 30, the governance team gets to design a fear factor for the student ministries team. So we just know that's coming, right? When we cross 40, Tim Rogers, elder here at the City Life Church, is going to shave his head, right? And he has hair, not like me. Like if I said that I was going to do that, wouldn't be a big deal, right? So... And then when we, hit, when we hit 50, by the end of the year, Juice and I are going to get tattoos. It's going to be my first one, my first ink, and uh, we're getting City Life Church logo tattoos. So that's what we're doing. All right, so here we go. So this person writes, we've been listening week after week to the Faith Promise stories, and we're very encouraged by what God has been doing. We both prayed and agreed, a married couple, on a promise amount. Yet as it got closer to Christmas, I began to think, I guess I'll just have to give my faith promise for money I make from going to school. It's, he talks about a GI Bill benefit. Or for my savings account. Either way, I just figured it would be one of those places rather than expect the money to just appear. I know you said that we wouldn't be expected to give if the promised money didn't show up. So you don't put your name, right? It's not a pledge. It's, that's what we call it a promise. You don't put your name on it. Nobody's following up with you. It's just between you and God. And if he doesn't provide the money, then you, you don't give it. However, we really wanted to give. Did I believe God could do it? Absolutely. But not knowing how or when or where the money would come in, I began to consider other avenues. Well, shame on me for not fully expecting and believing. Two weeks ago, I received a call from my mortgage company. They said, though you've only been with us for less than a year, you've got great credit and we'd like to drop your interest rate by a point at no cost to you. No closing costs, nothing. I thought, all right, sounds good to me. What a great deal. Then they said... You also get to skip November's mortgage payment as well. Come on, it's good. You can clap. This is cool stuff. Since so just like that, we gained an entire monthly mortgage payment and a lower interest rate. And I looked at my wife and we both said at the same time, there's our faith promise. 
I didn't call my mortgage company. I wasn't looking for a lower rate. I had already planned to give from one of those other areas. Then seriously, out of the blue, they called me, did all the paperwork, gave us a lower rate, and told us that we'd be skipping an entire month's payment. Unbelievable. God is amazing. Great things are happening. Come on, that's cool stuff, isn't it? So is your faith promise story... You know, Vanessa and I shared ours early uh, in June. That uh, you know, our faith promise story happened early on. That, that as your faith promise story happens, you share that with us. Come on, so that we can share it with other people in the room, and it can encourage all of our faith. It's going to be good. So, well, this is week five of hashtag Clad City Life After Dark, and this phrase speaks to something very important to us here at the City Life Church. That for too many of us, we spend our lives denying ourselves some of our deepest needs. And one of the deepest needs that you and I have, we find in the Gospel of Luke. It's in the ninth chapter in verse 45. It says, but they didn't know what he meant, speaking of his disciples, he referring to Jesus. They didn't know what he meant. Its significance was hidden from them, so they couldn't understand it. Listen to this last part. It says they were afraid to ask him about it. One of the deepest needs that you and I have is to give ourselves a sense of permission to ask the questions that we have about faith and spirituality. For far too many years, if you were like me, that we lived our lives with questions that we were too afraid to ask. Maybe you're afraid of what other people would think of us or or, or maybe just this this idea of of the answer's gonna be too big for me to understand. For, For whatever the reason might be, there's questions that we carry and like the disciples 2,000 years ago, we're just too afraid to ask. And what we wanna say through this series is don't be that person. And that's not going to be your experience here at the City Life Church. If you've got questions, and we're not saying that we've got all the answers, but we know the one who does, so we say, let's go on a journey together and ask them. So every weekend in this series, we've been asking some big questions. So you know we like to do some giveaways here at the City Life Church. So somebody raise your hand and tell me one of the questions that... uh, reaching in my pocket for where did I hide my giveaways. I was going to, the other pocket out of Hall's cough drop. You don't want that as a giveaway. That would be a little anticlimactic, right? That's a great answer. Here's a Hall's cough drop, right? All right, so somebody slip up your hand. What's a quite, what are the questions in the last four weeks? Last four weeks. Kevin, how do I get there from here? Nice, come on. Nice. All right, did you, did you lift your hand up to Nicole? What's another one? Can I rely on God? Nice, come on. You always have to have a backup. All right, I don't have any more cards, but you can share your question. Come on, is it possible to be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good? All right, let's, let's do this. Let's dig around. My wife knows where these cards are. Let's pull a card out, out of there, and then we're going to get you one after the service. How about that? All right, come on. Because that was a big one, right? She should get extra credit for that one. That was one of the long ones. All right, so let's do this. We like a little participation here. We like to say here that church is a participatory sport at the City Life Church. So we want to, we're going to do a new question tonight. We're going to do a new question tonight. So to get our heads and our hearts moving in the right direction, what are some OCD tendencies that you have? Now, I know that you don't have OCD tendencies, right? So you can share the ones that maybe somebody else has. Like I'm open about mine, right? Like I don't like wrinkles, right? Bring my shirt on a coat hanger, right? I'm just open. I don't, I don't like wrinkles. Iron my own clothes. So I'm, I'm, I'm sharing another one tonight. I also do not like my clothes to smell like food or fireplaces, right? So I cannot go to Cracker Barrel until the springtime. I'm on a Cracker Barrel fast, right? Because once they load up the fireplace, it costs me some money for dry cleaning. So just you're not going to see me there. You're not going to see me there until the springtime, all right? So OCD tendencies that you have, Jenna? Um, I have to make my bed in the morning. 
got to make your bed in the morning. Some, some, other, some of you want your kids to develop that tendency. So, all right, we'll work our way around the room. Celeste. Oh, come on. I know. Yeah. You got to wipe that. I know. I hear you. I hear you. April. Wash your hands like 25 times a day. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like any trash in your car. Yeah. I hear you. That was tough when you had little, when your daughter was little, wasn't it? Is a French fry under the seat all the time. Jonathan, you, your clothes have to be folded a certain way. Nicole's just shaking her head. So you fold your own clothes, right? Yeah. You know, she folds them, and then he refolds them, right? <laughs> Dustin. Brother, I hear you. No lights. I go through the house, turn the lights off, Vanessa goes behind me and cuts them on. So I know. She, she says we're children of the light, Fred. We're children of the light. Steve? All the papers on his desk have to be at a 90-degree angle. Right? So you go through, Lori, and write, shift them around. Just to, just to correct. Because aggravation, right, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. I have that one. Yes, ma'am. Nice. Did you hear that? Jessica Ashworth. All of their clothes in the closet are facing the same direction, which my shirts are like that too. But what I cannot say is the colors are in the orders of the rainbow. Come on. Come on. That's awesome. See what you learn about each other at the City Life Church. Come on. See what participation brings, Nathaniel. I never finish drawings because the lines have to be You never do what? I never finish drawings because the lines have to be Never finish his drawings because his lines have to be straight. Because you do it over and over and over. I hear I hear Yes, ma'am. Oh, there you go. If you have hair or lint on your clothes, she has to pick it off, right? <laughs> so if you've been here at the City Life Church and you've wondered, what was that? She's just helping you out. She's helping you out. Somebody else, somebody? This, this section over here is in good shape. No OCD tendencies over here. Yeah, they named them all, Todd? Yeah, golf clubs have to be in numerical order. I hear you, I hear you. What's that? He's got to take an even number of steps when he arrives at a, at a certain location. That's, yeah. Yes, Scotty. When you rake your yard, you have to have some leaves left. All right. Okay. All right. All right. I like those kinds of standards for yard raking. She, wow. It bothers her when other people's eyebrows are messed up. Okay. <laughs> So we're going to draw the line there at the City Life Church. You can pick lint off of other people's clothes, but you may not adjust their eyebrows. We're going to draw the line there as far as social boundaries are concerned. Rose, did you have your hand up? <laughs> yeah, when she's in somebody else's home, the pictures need to be straightened out. Jen. Yeah, things have to be visually symmetrical when you decorate. Symmetry is important. David? Right, 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 right. I don't know. If it's Hannah, then you can't. Oh, Pastor Justin. Oh, yeah, do tell. Do tell. No stains on his carpet. Oh, yeah, I'm going to spill some coffee in his office on Tuesday. Right? All right. Sean Bay. Cannot go to sleep if there are dishes in the sink. Come on, that's cool. See what you learned about each other? 
at the City Life Church. So, so why are we talking about, about OCD? Why are we talking about it? Because in the story that we're going to read together tonight, and as we read the story, we're going to find the question that we're going to unpack together this weekend. We find that the conversation opens with Jesus, with a group of religious leaders who are OCD about the religious traditions of their day. And it was their compulsiveness towards their traditions that launches Jesus into a little bit of what we could call, if we're fair, we can call it a tirade. So Matthew 15, 1 through 20, we're going to read that in just a minute. So, so this idea of the traditions of the elders is important. So let me give you a little bit of background because we're going to dig around in this story for the next couple of weekends. Next couple of weekends. So, so when you travel back in time to Jesus' day, the rabbis had what they called the traditions of the elders. So they had the Mosaic law, which was the, 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 the rules that governed all of life for the Jewish people. And so the rabbis would take the Mosaic law, they would study it, and they would interpret it for people. Meaning that they would take the Mosaic law and they would apply it to people's lives. And those applications became known as the traditions of the elders. So, for example, like when Wayne was joking about, you know, having a certain number of steps that he's got to take to get to a certain place. On a Sabbath day, the day of rest, which was a sacred practice to the Jewish people, is that you, the Bible doesn't say anything about how many steps you can take. It just says you're not allowed to work on that day. But the rabbis would interpret that, different rabbis, different rules, but they wouldn't say how many steps that you'd be allowed to take on a Sabbath day. And if you took more steps than you were supposed to on a Sabbath day, then you had violated the Sabbath and you were not working. Like we were watching HGV not too long ago, and it was a, a, a very strict Jewish family, and they had uh, uh, light timers installed in their house because on their Sabbath day, the rabbi that they sat under said that you would break the Sabbath if you turned a light switch on and off, right? So all these traditions of the elders became burdensome to people. One of the famous ones was that you couldn't practice medicine on the Sabbath day, but you could eat and drink to sustain yourself. So if you had a toothache and you rinsed your mouth with vinegar, which was a natural antiseptic, you weren't allowed to spit it out because that would be practicing medicine. You had to swallow it because that would be considered consuming food. Right? So the traditions of the elders had become this crazy, ridiculous burden on the people of Jesus' day. It's why in Matthew 16 and then also in 18, you hear Jesus use this phrase with his disciples, who would then become the apostles, who then would give us the rest of Scripture. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that was a particular Jewish phrase that meant something to the Jewish people 2,000 years ago. Because what rabbis did in interpreting the Mosaic law was called binding and loosing. They would bind in the sense they would say, you're not free to do this, and they would loose in the sense that they would say, you're, you're free to do that. So we believe that when Jesus spoke that to the apostles, that he was commissioning them and ordaining them to expand the scriptures, binding and loosing. So Jesus steps into this conversation, and what we find in Matthew 15, oh, I didn't mean to hit that button, pretend that you didn't see that. Right? I hope that's not somebody's OCD tendency. The slides are revealed too soon. All right, verse 1. If it is, I might push the button again just for the fun of it. Okay. No. All right. Then Pharisees and scribes came from Jerusalem to Jesus and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they're supposed to eat. So they didn't wash their hands because they were worried about cleanliness of their physical body. They washed their hands because it was believed, it was a tradition of the elders, that, that you, if you didn't wash your hands before you ate, then you would violate yourself, you would defile yourself spiritually. 
So he answered them, well, why do you break God's commandment? Right, he's up in the ante. Why do you break God's commandment? Because of your tradition. For God said, honor your mother and your father, and the evil one who speaks evil of father or mother will be put to death. And all the parents said, praise the Lord. All right, verse 5. But you say, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple. He does not have to honor his father in this way, unless it's a faith promise. He doesn't have to honor his in this way. You have revoked God's word because of your tradition. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Verse 10, summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came up and told him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard this statement? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. We're going to explain that in just a minute. Leave them alone, meaning lay aside the traditions of the elders. Leave them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. Then Peter replied to him, explain this parable to us. And the New Living Translation renders it a little bit more specifically. Peter says, could you explain a little bit more this idea that you're sharing that food doesn't defile, right? Because that's a big deal for Peter because he spent his whole life not eating certain kinds of food that the Mosaic law says is unclean. And here's Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, saying that food does not defile. And I think, right, this is just my own interpretation, I think what Peter's thinking is, remember in that town that we just passed a few minutes ago, there was a pig on a spit in the marketplace, I think we got time to get back there and still make our meeting tonight. What do you say, Jesus? Let's go, right? So verse, have you ever had pig on a spit before, right? I'm just telling you, they roast it all night. Oh, come on, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an omnivore, self-admitted. Are even you still lacking in understanding, he asks, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. And he gives a big list here. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and blasphemies. These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So you read verses like that and you think to yourself, when I was younger, I should have spent more time reading the Bible, right? Because how many of you, when you were growing up, what did your mother ask you? Did you wash your hands before you came to the table, right? You could have said, I don't have to because it's right here in Matthew 18, right? And my mother would have said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to arrange for you to go talk to Jesus about that personally, right, if you don't come back to the table with, with clean hands. So all of these traditions that they had, Jesus was frustrated with the religious leaders of his day because they created a relationship with the people that served their own ego. They wanted people to be 100% dependent upon them to tell them what was right and what was wrong. And Jesus is saying to them, you are violating one of your most sacred duties as a spiritual leader. A spiritual leader, one of their most sacred duties is not just to talk to people about right and wrong. It's to teach people how to think for themselves. And that's what we believe here at the City Life Church. 
Not that we're not going to stand against certain things at certain times and stand for other things at other times. Those are important. A passion for mine. Like with the election, my passion is vote. My passion is participate, right? All the military that, that's here and that, that serves such a great price to protect our freedoms. Just participate on Tuesday. Don't stay at home. Just throwing that in for free. That's a little advertisement, right? So, so Jesus is saying, don't tell people what to do. Teach them how to think for themselves. You might ask me my opinions on certain things. I've got opinions. I'm going to share them with you, but I'm going to share those opinions, and I'm also going to tell you how I came to those conclusions, and I'm going to strike up a conversation with you to ask you about how do you draw the conclusions that you have. We want to be a church that helps you learn how to answer the question that we're going to be unpacking together over the next couple of weeks, and the question is this. What makes something a sin? What makes it wrong, right? Have you ever asked that question? I mean, who gets to decide what committee of people came together at some point in time and came up with a list of what's right and what's wrong? I've joked before, right, that every right Christian home has Christian curse words. And so, like, I've joked before that mine in the house I grew up in was Jiminy Cricket, right? So, so, so why can you say that word and not blankety blank, 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 right? Who gets to decide which list is profanity and, and, and what goes on the Jiminy Cricket list? Who, who gets to pick that? You might have other things in your life. You might have things that you observe in other people's lives. Maybe it's a conversation that you've had, or maybe it's a conversation that you've been afraid to have of who gets to decide right from wrong. We're going to unpack that question together this weekend. And I want to share with you five questions that I ask myself in my own journey in life. You can think of them as, as questions. You can think of them as areas of exploration. I'm going to introduce one of them to you tonight, and then we're going to work through the other ones over the next couple of weeks. The first one is this. God has to have the final say. It's got to start here. If you want to think of it as a question, then you can ask yourself the question, when I'm making decisions about right and wrong, am I giving God the final say? Something turns in your life and your relationship with God when you come to a place of surrender and you say, God, I want you to have the final say in every area of my life. That when we begin to go on a journey with God and he begins to show things to us that he wants to change, that there's a part of us that says, hey, I know that's going to be hard, but I'm going to work towards that change because God has the final say. As part of what Bernie is talking about in her story and this journey that she's been on over the last couple of years of having a belief in God but not of a relationship with God. And she's going to tell you that now this idea of this new relationship with God is coming to this realization that God has to have the final say in every area of my life. And may it be that for all of us, come on, that something begins to happen in our heart where we say, God, we want you to be the most dominant influence of our will. Psalm 119 it's the longest chapter in the Bible. You think it's an accident that the whole chapter is all about having a heart to follow after God's ways. I want to read you the first eight verses here. Psalm 119, it says, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all of their heart. They do nothing wrong. They follow his ways. They have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with a sincere heart. And when I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes and never abandon me. It's powerful, isn't it? 
The psalmist is saying that I want you, God, to have the final say in my life. Now, I know that's a, that's a big shift for many of us. It was a big shift for me when I was 23. That was part of the vow of devotion that I made to Christ when I was 23 years old. I had lived my whole life in a Christian home, in a church going home, but I had never come to the place in my life where I said, God, I want you to be the boss of every area of my life. I want you to have the final say. And it's powerful here because in Psalm 119, the psalmist writes that the happiest person in the world is the person who submits to all the boundaries that God wants to put into your life. It's the complete opposite, isn't it, of what the world says. The world teaches us that you're the most happy when you're the most free. And God says you're the most happy when you're the most submitted and surrendered to the plans that I have for you. And any no that God ever speaks to us, it's not to rob us of goodness, it's to protect us from mediocrity. He always has our best interests at heart. One of our hallmark verses here at City Life is in Psalm, right? What is it? 2713, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Every no of God and every yes that comes from his voice is to release us into what Christ says is a life that is beyond measure. And when we begin to believe in our heart that God only has goodness for us and is trying to protect us from mediocrity and to release us into the excesses of joy and happiness in this life, then we begin to embrace every boundary that he wants to give to you and to me. When we're asking the question, what is sin? We have to start by saying, is God, is he the person that has the final say in that conversation in my life? So in Matthew 15, 13, you find this reference where Jesus says, everything, everything that's been planted that's not of God is going to be Uprooted. And then I gave some other verses. If you're a note taker, you can look at verse 3 and then the second part of verse 6 and then also verse 9. That all of these are moments in this conversation that Jesus is having with the religious leaders where he's saying, you as religious leaders, not only do you not give God the final say, you've not even involved him in the conversation and you're leading people astray. It's like the blind leading the blind, he says. And he turns to the crowd right at the end of that and begins to explain what he's talking about. And he's saying to the crowd the same things that he's saying to you and me. you got to let God have the final say in your conversation about what's right and what's wrong. So at the Williamsburg campus this morning, we did a drive-by raking. And I've never done that before. It was, it was an absolute blast. You're just this horde of people, right, moving through the neighborhood and knocking on doors and getting permission sometimes we got permission, to, to rake people's leaves. We would just rake all their leaves out into the street. They have a pickup that's done. The very first house that we went to, very first house, we went to several houses and people that they had planned had already raked up their leaves. And so they, we, we were a little bit, you know, unsure, a little bit discombobulated. Which, which house are we going to do first, right? And so we think it's just right coincidental where we land, the very first house that we come to. We're about halfway through raking. He, he didn't come to the door, right? So we were like, we've been walking around for long enough. We're going to rake somebody's yard, even if somebody has to post bail for us later, right? So this elderly man comes out and he said, did, did somebody from the neighborhood tell you that I had a heart condition and ask you to come and rake my yard today? It's powerful, isn't it? And all of us were like, come on, this is exactly why we're here. Just God just smiling on people. We were so excited. We just, the next 10 or so yards that we raked for the first half of the day, it was just a powerful moment of just loving on people. 
And one of the last houses that we came to, we're raking the yard, and I'm looking around, and I notice that there's these potted plants in the pots, right? The, you know, the plastic pots that you buy them at, at, at Lowe's or Dean and Don's or wherever you go to get your stuff, right? And the pots were just stuck out in the yard. They weren't planted. They were just kind of stuck in the mulch beds and, and just kind of strewn around the yard. And I said to somebody, you know, hey, they're probably pretty excited because it was another house that, that, that we didn't get to talk to them before we raked the yard. And, and uh, you know why people, right, they don't want to come out because you think they're going to charge you something. Like somebody tried to give us money. We're like, hey, we don't want your money. We just, we just want to love on you today. So I was thinking to myself, and I, and I said to one of the other people there, hey, they're going to come out and they're going to be excited because I bet that they were going to have to rake their yard and plant these flowers today. And this is what the person said. Well, maybe they're not ever going to plant the flowers. Maybe how it is is just good enough for them. It's a powerful picture, isn't it, for you and I in our life? Because for me, I spent many years of my life, I like the idea of, of God's word just kind of being a decoration in my life, having the appearance of Christianity. But none of those things were planted into the soil of who I was as a person. And this verse right here in Matthew 15, 13, it's a big verse for us in this conversation about what is sin. Because part of this, this, this question that you and I have to be willing to, to, to ask ourselves, am I giving God the final say? This is part of what it's about. Are we willing to let him begin to go through the yard of our life and begin to uproot things that we've held to be true that don't belong there because somebody else put it there? an unhealthy influence of the world or something that somebody taught me that was incorrect, that all these things that are planted in the yard of our life that don't belong, are we really ready for God to come through and start pulling up those plants? And then as part of his journey, as he begins to plant other things there. Maybe you grew up in a home where you've just always embraced the truth that when someone does something to you, that you do something in turn to them, Right? Maybe some of you are thinking that way towards Clem after how he treated many of you last weekend, right? <laughs> We're thinking about starting a new ministry here at the City Life Church. It's, it's a, a Clem recovery group <laughs> where, where, where people say, I had my first encounter with Clem Hefferin in October of 2012, right? Did you, did you hear about what he did, right? He had just had twins, right? Felicia just had, had twins. And so Clem came to church last weekend with a baby doll, a toy baby wrapped in a blanket. And so people would come up to him and say, I, you know, they're thinking, I can't believe Clem brought that newborn baby out just a couple of days old all by himself. And as, then as he would get close to you, he would act like he was going to hand the baby to you and then drop the baby. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. I'm telling you right now in the parking lot, his tires are flat and people have keyed his car, right? <laughs> Many people shrieked. I'm sure shrieked a few Jiminy Cricket words last weekend here at the City Life Church. So maybe when somebody does something to you that you don't like, you've grown up in a, in a culture, in your family, where you get people back, and then all of a sudden Jesus starts walking through your yard and said, hey, that plant doesn't belong in here. I want to talk to you about not just loving the people that love you. I want to talk to you about forgiveness. I want to talk to you about loving your enemy. He wants to redesign our whole life. And this journey that we go on with him, it's got to start right there. Are we willing to let him uproot everything that doesn't belong and plant everything anew? This word that you're always going to find in the Bible, sin, in the Greek is hamartia. And it means to miss the mark. We thank Paul Yost and, and Alex Ballard for sharing some of these with us. 
It's a powerful picture for us because it's the word that the Bible uses to define for us what sin is. And it's an archery term, and it means to miss the mark. That's what the word means. In Jesus' day, when he said sin, when he said hamartia, they understood what he meant. He was talking about somebody that was aiming at something and didn't make it. And this idea of, of letting God have the final say in our life, it means that we let him decide what the target is going to be. We, we let him choose what we're supposed to be aiming for in this life. And it's hard sometimes because we're not sure we want to aim for the things that he picks for us. And then the other part that frustrates us at times, right, if we're just honest with each other tonight, is that if we embrace the thing that he picks for us, we don't like how small the bullseye is sometimes that he sets, right? So we're thinking, hey, I did not run that person off the road after they cut me off. Oh, how great I am, right? And all of a sudden, there's the whisper of God. The target's a little bit more small than that. Right? You know that shooting's a new passion for mine. I've been talking about that, right? So when I first went shooting uh, about a year ago with some guys in the church over at the Lafayette Gun Club, right? I'm, I got my first handgun last Christmas. And we're at the gun range, and the target's only like 15 yards away. And, and, and Tyler was there with us, and, 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 and we were both shooting really for the first times in our life, and we're pointing right at the target, right? And we pull the trigger. We're just 15 yards away, and the paper doesn't even move. We're thinking, well, these bullets must be really small. You can't even see the holes in the paper, right, that we just made. We're not even hitting the target, trying hard, doing everything that, that we know, and our spiritual life is just like that sometimes. We see the target that he puts out in front of us and we're trying and we just can't get it right. And he says to you and to me, don't give up. Don't give up. He's not going to change the standard because that's not the kind of God that he is. And you know what? We don't want him to be that kind of God. We don't want him to lower the bar. But what he does has for us is grace and patience to see us through so we can get it right there. Whether it be with our generosity, whether it be with our purity, whether it be with our, our, our diligence and our devotion and spending time in his word, whether it be to our loyalty, to our friendships, he's not ever going to make the bullseye bigger. He's just going to keep being the person that comes alongside of you and says, I'm going to help you and we're going to get this thing right. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm showing you that one. We're not going to do that one tonight, but we're going to launch into that one next week. I want you to see that one, Sin That Expires, because I think for many of us, it's going to be one of the five questions that, that, that I ask myself that maybe comes as a surprise to you. Maybe you've been thinking, too, I'm not sure what these baskets and rags for. We're just, come on, we're creating a little anticipation for you to see some things and to create some curiosity in your life. All the black spirituals that are such a rich heritage of worship in the Christian faith are predominantly sung in the minor keys. It's interesting because the famous song Amazing Grace was written by John Newton in the 1700s, a white Englishman. Musically, it falls with the black spirituals, but its origin is that of a white man born in London. 
John Newton was a notorious slave ship captain whose glorious conversion to a passion-filled, life-defining, moment-by-moment governing faith in Christ in 1748 is well-documented. And he penned the hymn, Amazing Grace, first as a poem. It was published in 1779 in a group of hymns written by Newton and a friend. In 1788, 34 years after he had retired from the slave trade, Newton broke a long silence on the subject with the publication of a forceful pamphlet, Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade, in which he described the horrific conditions of the slave ships and apologized, and he writes this in his pamphlet, pamphlet, a confession which comes too late. It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which now my heart shudders. It's powerful, isn't it? Because he went on a journey where he began to let God have the final say in his life. Newton became an ally of his friend William Wilberforce. If you've never seen that movie, Amazing Grace, the story of William Wilberforce's life, you should get that. He was the leader of the parliamentary campaign to abolish the slave trade. Newton lived to see the passage of the Slave Trade Act of 1807. Now, many historians of music believe that the melody for this most treasured hymn was one that Newton must have heard time and time again rising up from the lower decks of his slave ships where people were being held captive in the most inhumane of conditions imaginable. Their melody found its way into the heart of a once vulgar man who was now a divine instrument in the hand of God, giving the world arguably the greatest hymn ever written, their melody, his lyrics, our treasure. It goes like this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares we have already come. Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. And when we've been there, speaking of the heaven that's to come 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Stand with me. If you're praying with people tonight, you can come and get into your spot and bring the house lights down. We've got time that we've built into the back end of the service for a few worship songs that we're going to do together. And you might be here tonight and you're saying, like Bernie said, I believe in him, but I can't say that I know him. If you're here tonight and you want to learn a little bit more about what it means to know Christ, then we hope that you're going to find your way out of your seat. Hey, I know it's uncomfortable being conspicuous. I I understand. The question is whether or not you're going to allow God to have the final say. 
maybe one of your first steps in letting him have the final say is that you're just going to overcome a little bit of self-consciousness tonight and you're going to say, I'm going to find one of these people on the side just to pray. You might not even know why you're coming for prayer. You're just, hey, I just, I want to pray. I felt God speaking to my heart to come. Then we want to pray. It might be, it's one of the questions that we've been working together on the series. It might be something that we've talked about tonight. Whatever the reason, come on. Can we continue to be a congregation of people that says we're going to stop denying ourselves some of our deepest needs? And one of the deepest needs that we have together in life is to pray with one another. So, Father, we lift these songs to you as an act of worship, declaring our trust in you, declaring our devotion that we want you to have the final say in every area of our life. And when we miss the mark that the song of amazing grace is going to be the story of our lives, it's going to be the story of our lives. That your patience for us is never ending. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody said together, amen. Come on, as we worship together, you find someone to pray. Just a glimpse. 